So James chapter 3. All right, let's get to it. Beginning of verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Ouch. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a small fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So we're, we're not going to cover all of that this morning. Uh, just the first few verses, because I think there's a different emphasis in the first few verses than, than there is in the last bit. But it all goes together. That's why we read the whole thing this morning. Remember, context matters. So I want you to get the whole context. So I wonder, as we read through that, and, and I, when I was studying it, I was thinking about these kinds of things. Ha, have you ever said something that you wish immediately after you said it that you could unsay it? I mean, it's out there, right? <laughs> you said it. Now you realize it was insensitive or ignorant or rude, and now you want it to just go away. I, that's so weird how that happens, isn't it? Because, I mean, we know we're saying it when we say it. And then we say it and we thought, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Immediately, I mean, almost immediately, I shouldn't have said that. But here's the thing is, you know, as much as we want it to go away, it can't just go away. Because you said it, and someone else probably heard it, and they remember it. As much as you want to forget it, they remember it. And let me tell you, they remember it whether or not they have forgiven you for it. Amen. All right? As far as I know, God is the only being in the universe who has the, the capability to actually forgive and forget. Amen. Amen. I mean, people, we, we can forgive... But forgetting is, is a whole other story. It's just not something that I think that we can consciously, intentionally do. If, if we intentionally try to forget something, we're remembering it in the intention, right? Now, I, I, I admit that we can unintentionally forget things, uh, 
I forget things I don't intend to forget all the time. We can unintentionally forget things, but to intentionally forget something, I think that's, that's impossible for the human mind, which is why unsaying something is also impossible, because it's captured in the memory of who hears it. No matter how hard you wish you could unsay it or how much you wish you could undo it, it's still there. And even if they forgive you, that, that memory is still there. We turn it around now. And you think about it from the other direction. Has anyone ever said something and you heard them that you wish they hadn't have said? We've all, I mean, I think everybody has been hurt by someone's words at some point. Words, right? You know, there's that old childhood rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a lie. It's a lie. I mean, I get it. I I understand, right? The the point of it is that we want to teach our children and and tell ourselves that we just, we got to roll with the punches and don't let someone's rude attitude toward you or their inconsiderate behavior toward you, uh, you know, define how you value yourselves. We don't value ourselves based on how other people treat us. That's not how our, where our worth comes from. So I get the lesson. I understand what the point of that little rhyme is. But the wounds that sticks and stones cause, you know, like broken bones and, and bruises, those will heal. But, but very often, the wounds that are caused by someone's words, they, they don't ever heal. Amen. Amen. I mean, we'll carry that pain with us in some degree or another for a very long time. Some people forever. We hold grudges, right, because of things people say. We will sever ties because of things people say. Words cause pain, and the whole relationship dynamic is changed when words cause pain. Words have power because they have meaning. Now, I know every one of you ladies in here can think back to a time when your husband was inconsiderate, or rude, and you can tell them exactly when it happened because you remember it. Even though the relationship you've reconciled, even though you've gotten over it, even though you've forgiven, I guarantee you, you still remember it. Not just you ladies, you men too. She never appreciates when I do whatever. You remember it because words have meaning. They have power, right? So controlling the tongue is one of the tests of true religions that James gave us at the end of chapter 1. So we've already come through that. So chapter 1, he already told us how to live by faith, by praying uh, for wisdom, by listening to the Word, acting on the Word, doing the Word. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, the very like second to the last verse, he said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives himself, this person's religion is worthless. Remember that? He said, this person's religion is worthless. So James, he, he already said, if you don't control your tongue, your religion's worthless. And then immediately in chapter 2, he starts talking about the sin of partiality. Now we've covered that. But look how James portrays the partiality being played out. 
In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. You say, You sit here. You say, You stand over there. James's example of the heart problem, the, the sin problem of partiality, is made manifest Amen. on the tongue. It's made evident, it's revealed in what you say. That's the first half of chapter 2. And then we get to the second half of chapter 2, and James takes a little bit of a different approach. He talks about faith without works. And we covered that last week, can that faith save you? In verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and be filled without giving in the things needed for the body, what good is that? Look at the phrases. If someone says he has faith. If one of you says to them, Go be warm and be fed. Words, words, words. Hot air without anything to back it up. So the first part of James 2 is the, the inner sin is manifested on the tongue. Right? Okay? And the second part of James 2 shows us how empty faith is revealed through empty words. Faith without works. Words without deeds. Empty, empty. So James hints that it's very difficult to prove our faith. It's difficult to prove our faith is genuine in chapter 2. He's hinting at it. He showed them these are hard tasks. That to back up what you say with deeds, it's a hard task to, to not let your, your, your speech betray you. And, and if it's a hint in chapter 2, in chapter 3, he just flat out says, you can't do it. Amen. James 1, true religion bridles the tongue. James 3, no one can tame the tongue. That's verse 8. So then what he does, when he starts chapter 3, he turns straight his attention straight to teachers. In verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. You have a King James Version. It probably says you shouldn't become masters. It's the same word, teacher, master. They're often referred to their teachers in that day as masters. Jesus is called master a few times in the Scripture. And that's a, a term. It's a title for teacher. But they were, you know, teachers, the rabbi, which was their title, that, that means my great one, they were given you know, an office. They were held in great respect. It was a, um, an esteemed thing to be a rabbi, to be a teacher. It, it was so culturally and socially esteemed that your, your social duty to your rabbi was greater than your social duty to your own parents. In fact, under the, the, the rules that, you know, we have unwritten rules we live by, under the rules that we live by, if, if your rabbi, your teacher, were to be taken captive by enemies, to be sold into slavery, and at the same time your mother or father were taken captive to be sold into slavery, the cultural rules said that you had a responsibility to ransom the rabbi first. I mean, teachers were held in high regard, high esteem, and they are today. I mean, you, you all can look back on your time growing up, most of you are a little long in the tooth, and you can, you can remember people who have, who have um, influenced you outside of your, your parents, 
who have had great influence on who you are, how you behave, how you think, what you do, how you treat people. Teachers, mentors. Mentors have great influence on us. Teachers have great influence on us. And they're naturally held personally in high esteem. Now, our expressions of esteem and our our rules for for how we show that esteem societally and culturally, those may have changed over time, but the fact of the matter is, the fact still remains that teachers have a a very prominent place in, in how we are shaped. Okay? Great influence in our lives. That's why it's important to get good teachers. I appreciate that. I was waiting for that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) It's important to get good teachers. If they they teach you things that, that don't line up with the... I mean, your, your first teacher is the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit's job is to lead us and guide us into all truth. Teachers should be leading you and guiding you into truth. Your first teacher is the Holy Spirit. If you have a, a man who's teaching you, a woman who's teaching you, and they're not leading you and guiding you where the Holy Spirit leads, we've got a problem. Where the Bible leads, then we've got a problem. So get good teachers. It's so important to get good teachers. And that's why James gives us a warning about becoming teachers because bad teachers can do a whole lot of damage but good teachers can do a whole lot of good he says the warning that he gives us is for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness i think it's interesting that you know james is teaching right and he's teaching about teachers and then he says we who teach will be judged with greater strictness By the very fact that he's teaching, he's inviting greater judgment, greater strictness on himself. He's submitting himself to being judged with greater strictness by virtue of saying it. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And people have come up with a few different reasons for why James gives that warning. You know, some believe that James, he's trying to address a, a particular problem in his church or in his churches. Maybe, you know... The, the nature of how they did church back then is somewhat different than how we do it. It tended to be much more congregational back in the, the first century church. So, you know, a lot, of, lot more back and forth discussion kind of things, much more informal gathering. Um, and so maybe there were people who were speaking up, trying to teach when they didn't know themselves. You know, Paul even addresses that when he talks about women he, you know, that, that's where that comment comes from. Women be silent in the church because they were, they were speaking up in, the, in this, you know, this conversation about things they didn't know about. And so it's very possible that's what James is trying to address, that people were, were trying to be teachers when they should, they, you need to be a student right now. You ever experienced that? You ever had someone trying to teach you something and it's clear to you they don't have a clue what they're talking about? Or you, you, you could write the manual for them and they're trying to tell you how to do it? That's what, I mean, so people that we suspect, James, he could be trying to dress something like that in the church. Boy, doesn't that happen in church a lot. <laughs> Everybody feels like they know. Boy, they, they get a Holy Ghost experience and now they are ready to teach the world. Well, why don't you be a student for a minute and... Um, and then we'll, we'll see how it goes, you know. Certainly evangelize. James is not talking about evangelizing here. This is different. 
Okay? Evangelizing is telling others about Christ, telling others about the, the goodness of Christ and the gospel of Christ and, and bringing others, building the kingdom. This is different. This is building up the saints. This is teaching. All right? Some people just want to be heard, though. They just like the attention that they get. Maybe there were unqualified people who were just trying to take over in the church. They're not, they're not qualified to, to lead, but they're just trying to take over. They don't have any, um, uh, any fruit, any real fruit evident in their life. They're not demonstrating any real knowledge or, or wisdom in the Scripture, understanding of it. They just want to be in charge. You remember Jesus, He did warn about those kinds of people. I mean, he talked to the Pharisees like to do that. Matthew 23, He said they love the, verse 6, He said they love the place of honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They love being called rabbi. And He said this in condemnation of the Pharisees. You just like being called teacher. So people who teach, we have to guard our speech. Amen. Amen. We're especially vulnerable to failures in our speech because we have to speak so much. And I, <laughs> I probably say more words on Sunday morning than I do all week. That's the truth. <laughs> we have to speak a lot. And why is that? Because teaching and preaching requires words. There's a, a witty saying that um, people like to use, and it, it's meant to express the idea of letting our good works shine before others and let our, let our works be our witness, and which, you know, I, I can get behind that. You know, that's a lot of James's message that you need to back up your, your profession with, with your life, with your works. But the saying goes like this. It, it says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now that, that's witty, and that, that sounds like you go well on a bumper sticker or on, a, on social media, but I, I have to push back on that because the implication is that we don't need words to preach Christ, and that's just patently false. We very much need words. Amen. We need words. God Himself used words. A whole bunch of them. we got a whole big book full of words to reveal who He is and what He has for us. Words are necessary to provide context and meaning to what is being demonstrated by our works. Teaching and preaching, it requires words. So when we're in that context, we have an audience that's captive, right? Like, like I do yeah. right now, a captive. I mean, you can get up and leave if you want to, but you're going to get looked at. <laughs> we're going to wonder what, what's, what happened. So, it'd be so I've got a captive audience, and when you're teaching... You know, people are listening to you. You have a somewhat captive audience. And when, when we have a captive audience, there is a door to temptation that opens us up to nearly every kind of evil speech. Amen. Arrogance and, and domination over those who look up to us. So, I mean, man, it's been like coming out of the woodwork lately of pastoral abuses where they have, I mean, spiritual abuse, where they've exercised arrogance and domination over the people who are supposed to be the sheep in, in the flock, people who they, over whom they're supposed to be shepherds, who they're supposed to love and, and nurture, but instead of loving and nurturing, they're, they're exacting their rule for their own benefit. Coming out of the woodwork, I mean, just, just look on in, in social media and look in, 
in what's going on in the SBC right now. I mean, just all kinds of things like this. There's a, there's a, a door to temptation that opens itself up to evil speech. Anger and pettiness when we get contradicted or when people don't pay attention to us. And honestly, I, I have to deal with that one. That's what I, I deal with. You know, if someone contradicts me or challenges what I say, I'm, you know, the, my, my flesh response is, did you put in the work that I did? Because I know I put in the work. You know, <laughs> that's my flesh response. And so I have to, you know, I have to work at humbling myself to receive criticism because maybe, maybe I didn't say it in the right way. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I didn't understand it in the right way. You know, I may put in the work, but that doesn't mean I got it right. One of the, the biggest temptations that, that I have to struggle with is this, this, that pettiness. My wife's real good about reminding me. She's, she keeps me in check. But y'all don't see you the way I see you. I can look out and see that ain't nobody paying attention to me. There are times I look out on Sunday morning now that nobody is hearing a word I'm saying. And, 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 and I have to, in, in the moment of preaching, while I'm standing here talking to you, preaching, you know, trying to pour out my heart to you, I'm having to also pray, Lord, I'm, I'm just a vessel. I can't do this. Amen. You have to do the work. Amen. I'm just going to be obedient. You have to do the work. I have, to, I have to work to squash because what my flesh wants to say is, do you know how long I worked on this? How many hours week after week after week after week I have to put in to stand up here and talk to you? You know what I miss with my family? I don't get to go do the things I want to do. Amen. Not like you do. Amen. Y'all better listen to me. I work for the... I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that comes up in... I don't, I don't ever express that. No. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> and, and like I said, Casey's very good at keeping me... Because I mean, sometimes I'll come... Come down off the pulpit, and I'm, I'm discouraged. You know, I look out, and I see a, a sea of empty chairs. I look out, and I'll, I'll see faces that, you know, sometimes you're half asleep because it's too warm in here. I don't know. And I wonder if you're going to sleep through church. Why don't you just stay in bed? <sighs> Y'all aren't going to have me back next week. But those things come up because I'm standing here and I have your attention and I put in the work and I did this. And I'll come down and I'll be discouraged and I'll, I'll say, man, I just, the case was like, well, it went good today. I'm like, well, I, at least one person thought so. I'll say something stupid like that, right? Well, at least you thought so. And I'm like, and she'll say, she'll, she's real quick to, to slap me and say, you, you stop it. Your job is to be obedient. Be obedient. And, and let, you don't know what God's doing in their hearts. You, you don't know what's going on in their, in their lives. You don't know why they're, they're, they're tired. You don't know why they're looking like that. Maybe something, they're just pondering something. Because there are times I look at, because, you know, I have certain barometers in here, certain of y'all that I, can, I know that you're usually tracking with me, and I, I can look at you and tell if I've, if I've hit a point right or if I'm, I'm way off. And sometimes I look over at my wife, and she's got this look on her face, and I think, what did I say? And I'll quiz her about it. Oh, no, I was just thinking about it. it you just, you just, I mean, I was just trying to chew it up. Okay, all right, that's good, that's good. So I confess I've, I've had those kinds of thoughts, 
You know, I mean, we who teach, we are especially susceptible to being open up to temptations for all kinds of wicked speech. And I've had those kinds of thoughts, and, and they're sinful, and I've had, I've had to repent of them. So that's why I approach this text this morning from James with such uh, with trembling, really, and, and humility, because he says, not many of you should be teachers. And because I know that of all of us in here, that in the context that we're in, this rests on me most obviously. Amen. Amen. So I approach it with, with great humility. And just like with James, the, the very fact that I am daring to stand up here and try to open this word to you, to teach it to you, it invites greater strictness of judgment on myself, and I'm very cognizant of that. Every time I stand here to, to open the word to you, I'm, I'm inviting the Lord to judge me more strictly. Amen. So I, I have to approach it very carefully. Amen. That's, why it, that's why I put in the hours. That's why I put in the work to do it. That's why I labor over every word. That's why I preach from a... You know, some people can get up here and just talk off the top of their head, and a, God bless them. You know, that, that is a talent, but man, I labor over every word that, that comes out of my mouth up here, and, and I, so I've got to write it down. That's why I preach from a manuscript. I want every, I, there are certain things I want to say. I want to make sure I say it right, and I got, it's got to be said that way, because if I don't say it that way, I'm going to get it wrong. Amen. I labor over it, Amen. because I, 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 I know when I come to texts like this, not many of you should be teachers. This is, this is a heavy, heavy load. It's a great and a precious burden. But see, James doesn't, he doesn't say that teaching is wicked. Don't think that. Or that no one should be a teacher. Because he included himself. I am a teacher. We teachers. What he's simply saying is that because teachers rely so much on words, because they have such great influence over others, that they must be especially careful. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And he also says, no one can control his tongue. And so when he says that, we all stumble, by definition, he's including himself. He's saying, I stumble. So he isn't teaching us from a position of perfection. And I'm going to tell you, this may shock some of you, neither do I. I realize that comes as a, a bit of a shock for you. I am not teaching you from a position of perfection. It is possible I could, I could get some things askew. That's why I, I'm very careful to tell you that it's not what I say, it's what the Bible says. We're going to be Bible people. You take what I say, line it up with the Bible. If we agree, great. If we don't, you challenge me on it. We all stumble, James says, in many ways. But teachers, we have to be aware of the great responsibility that we take on ourselves every time we open our mouths to teach. Because the tongue... And I'm, this is not just for pulpit teaching. Anytime that we're teaching, when we're taking someone, walking them through the Scripture and saying, this is what the Word means. And, and we all have occasion to do that in our lives. We, we have to be careful because the tongue is consistently and constantly demonstrating our sinfulness and our own inability to make ourselves righteous. The Bible talks about the tongue as a demonstration of our failures our sin all the time. 
Remember when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he, when he was taken into the temple of the Lord, he said, I am ruined, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. What, what ruined me? What has undone me? My unclean lips. The, the things I've said. Psalm 34, 12 says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And then verse 13, he gives us the answer. He says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. You want life and love many days and you want to see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. The Bible condemns speech. It's not like gossip. And crude joking, Proverbs 20, 19 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. A few times when Paul lists, you know, he lists all these great sins, there are a few times that he lists other, uh, he lists gossip among those other terrible sins, like in Romans 1 and Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4.9, Paul says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the things that are supposed to come out of our mouths is what builds up and gives grace. He says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Romans 3, Paul talks about how there's no one righteous, not even one. And he says, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And listen to this. He, so he's just saying, he just, he, just, he just indicted everyone. He said, you're all guilty. No one does good, nobody. And then he says, this is what's going on. He says, your throats are open graves. Your tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on your lips. Your mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Isn't that what James said? How can, how can sweet and bitter come from the faint, same fountain? That's Romans 3, 10 through 14, by the way. So James tells us that the tongue is so difficult to control that anyone who, who can control it has obviously mastered controlling himself completely. You can control your tongue, you can control yourself. That's why James says nobody can control the tongue. That's James 2. He says... We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Think about it. For most of us, our mouth is our undoing. I remember growing up. Now, I didn't get... I was a good kid. You can ask mom. She'll agree to that. She'll tell you he was a good kid. When I was... About this tall, I think I got my last spanking. I mean, I didn't take many to teach me for me to learn. My, I don't want those again. But I'll tell you what, I was probably 16 years old the last time I got my mouth popped. It took me a long time to figure out, there are, just, there are certain ways you don't say things to your mama. Reach up and pop me like that. Oh, that used to shut me up so quick. And then, oh, I get so mad. Our mouth, my mouth, was my undoing. Proverbs 18, verse 6. 
Boy, I lived this. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Any of you lived that? Any of you walked that out? I have. Praise God for His grace and His, his long-suffering with me. You know, even the gift, the spiritual gift of tongues is dangerous. I mean, Paul spends a good, good portion of words in, in 1 Corinthians telling us about the, the abuses and proper uses of tongues, Amen. of the gift of tongues, because it, it, it's the tongue. <laughs> and the tongue is a deadly fire. Teachers who are good at what they do, who are persuasive in how they speak, boy, they can convince people to do almost anything. I mean, in modern history, we have examples of this. Just don't, it's not that many years ago that Jonestown happened. Do you remember that? I mean, how could some, or, or, then, or the Branch Davidians was even closer to, do you, how, do, and that was because someone was a bad teacher. When you, you get right down to it, that's what was going on. We had a bad teacher and was persuasive and had all kinds of control over people's lives. That's why James says, not many of you ought to be teachers because there's a great temptation that comes there. It takes great self-control in order to be able to wield a tool like that. Because that tool, as effective as it is for building, can be just as effective in destroying and hurting other people. It can become a tool for idolatry and convincing others to follow you and not Christ. Just think about the celebrity pastor culture that we have seen in, in recent days. Celebrity pastors. We have got a generation almost of young preachers who are more concerned about building a brand than they are about building the kingdom of God. And that's a tragedy. Not many of you should be teachers. So I'll conclude with this. Temptation, and therefore spiritual compromise, it often finds its easiest access to our heart through our eyes. So the things that we see is where we often are tempted. By the same token, it may be that sin finds its easiest exit route from our hearts through our, our mouth. Just a slip of the tongue. Careless words. You know the, but Jesus says that you will have to account for every careless, idle word? Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep your heart. Be vigilant in keeping your heart. And then he immediately follows that by telling us to put away crooked speech. Put away devious talk. Keep your heart involves guarding the tongue. Amen. So we must be careful what we say. So now I... I focused on, on teachers this morning because that's, like I said, there's a different focus in the first few verses than there is the rest of it. James, it's important that we see the gravity of that, that we understand the weight of, of what is being resting on, on people who teach. And, and you need to know that anytime we're coming into a teacher-student relationship, I have teachers, right? I need to, I need to hold them in, in a certain light. I need to regard them in a certain way. I need to know that they, 
they need to act a certain way. You need to know that about me. But later, James opens this directive up to a much wider audience. And tells us that we must be careful with our speech. And the same principles will apply, and we'll see that. If the Lord's willing, we'll, we'll cover that the next time. And I'm just going to let you go there. Are we okay with that? All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this time you've given us, Lord. And I pray that um, you let James's warning to us about our speech, let it set upon our hearts, make us conscious about the things that we say. You know, as we've been talking these last few weeks, James does a lot of emphasis about right living and, and working our faith out so that others can see as you have commanded to let our, our good works, our light shine before others so that they see our good works. But Father, here we, we see that he takes that down to even the, the things that we say. Let our speech have the accent of Christ. Let our speech be peppered with with love and with grace. Lord, that we may win others for your kingdom. Send us away from here in safety, Lord. Send us away from here renewed and rejuvenated and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.